my name is Justin Crow. In case any of you don't know that, I'm one of the pastors here at Mission, and uh, periodically get to preach. And every time, it is an honor uh, and a privilege. So thank you for being here. If you're on Facebook Live, thank you for that as well, for tuning in. If you have your Bibles, and if you don't, there should be one close by you somewhere. But if you have your Bibles or your devices or whatever you use to read God's Word, turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. This morning, we will be looking at the first 16 verses of chapter 13, and we will be looking at this idea of remembering as God tells Moses to tell his people to remember and as he is telling us even here today as we will see he is telling us as well to remember so as you may recall before we get to the reading of those verses if you've been on this journey with us then you kind of know where we're at you've seen God miraculously rescue his people they have they have exited or exodus I don't know if that's a verb but it's going to be today they have left Egypt they are on their way. They have been kicked out. God miraculously brought nine plagues to the footstep, the doorstep of Pharaoh and his people. But he told them beforehand, told the Israelites, look, they're not going to work. Okay, We're going to do these things and we're going to prove some things and we're going to show some things, but they're not going to work. Pharaoh's heart's going to be hardened. But then he says, I've got a tenth one and it's a doozy and it's going to work. Okay, it is, It's going to work. So pack your bags Get your stuff ready. Get the Passover lamb. We talked about this for two weeks. Get the Passover lamb ready. Paint the blood over your doorpost and do not leave your house. Make sure you remain under the blood. Now that is, yes, symbolic, but also obedient to God's command. If he tells you not to leave the house, don't leave the house. So you remain under the blood. Now, here's, here's one just side note because we live in a very chaotic time in America and in the world, really. But think about the providence of God in this moment. There's at least hundreds of thousands of Jewish people in Egypt right now. Some people estimate up to two million, but regardless, there's a lot of them, right? And the word has to get from God to Moses and Aaron, two people, to all of those people and what to do, and it does. It gets to all of them to paint the blood over the doorpost. Because even in this chaotic time of slavery and being in Egypt and not knowing what's going on and all of that, the clans were still in place. The elders were still in place. Moses only had to go to about 12 dudes and those 12 dudes went to, the, to their people and their families and their clans and the word spread that way. This is a sign of God's providence. And in, like I said, America... It looks like we don't have, we got a lot of work to do. I love living here, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of work to do. But God's in control. God knows what he's doing. And if, if nothing else, just remember that today as well. Remember, God knows what he's doing, and God is not wringing his hands and wondering what to do. He is in control. All right, back to the story. Then the angel of death comes. He kills the firstborn of Pharaoh and all of the uh, Egyptian people, even their livestock are dead. And Pharaoh finally says, all right, I've had enough. Get out. Go. Go worship your God. Go do whatever you got to do. But just get out of here. So he lets them leave or forces them to leave, basically. And then we see that was the event of the Passover. And then last week we looked at the institution of the ongoing Passover celebration that would that would persist all the way up until Jesus' time. Now, we see in chapter 13, 
these words. If you want to read along with me, we'll be reading the first 16 verses. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. From when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So we see here, this chapter opens, basically opens, with a word that we don't use much consecrate. Moses, or the Lord says to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. So God tells Moses to dedicate formally for a divine religious purpose. Because that's what the word consecrate means. There's your definition. It is God tells Moses, every firstborn you dedicate to me formally for a divine religious purpose. That's man and beast, man and animal. Okay? We will discuss this a little bit more later, but just know that's what that's what God is telling Moses at the outset. This is what you do. You consecrate to me. You give them to me. He even says the words, they are mine. The Lord doesn't leave that up to guessing or any gray area. They are mine. You consecrate them to me. Then in the next verse, we see Moses begin talking to his people. And he starts by saying, remember this day. Now I find that odd based on what's just happened. How could they forget this day? Think about what's just happened. The, the angel of death has just swept through Egypt, killing all of the firstborn. The Jewish people were probably rolling their eyes thinking, yeah, I, I think we're going to remember this day because we painted our doors 
And the angel of death left us alone and it killed all of these other people. It reminds me of my daughter who has already learned to roll her eyes at six years old. But she usually does it right before she forgets exactly what she's just promised me she's not going to forget. She'll go in the other room and be like, now what did you tell me to do again? Oh, yeah, where's that eye roll now? So anyway, this is what the Jewish people are probably doing though. Yeah, Moses, we'll remember. Uh, on April 15th, 1947, other than Brian Lewis, and there's a reason for this, anybody know what that date is? Exactly. We forget things. Brian, it's a baseball thing. Thought maybe you would know. But there's, there's this guy. His name's Jackie Robinson. And in April 15th, 1947, Jackie Robinson, a black man, the first black man to ever play a professional sport, took the field. Now, he, th think about this. He played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, not even a team anymore. They've moved to L.A. That's how long ago this was. This was the first time, though, any black man had taken the field or court or whatever playing surface you want to talk about. Now, think about this. The civil rights movement was in the 60s. That's about how ahead of his time this was. Now, if you happen to be watching a baseball game this week, Brian, also the only one that might have done that this week, because nobody watches baseball anymore. How they afford all these salaries, I don't know. But anyway, if you happen to be watching, every player on the field was wearing number 42. Every player, every pitcher, every pinch hitter, everyone. And the reason for that is obvious now that I've told you the story, right? Jackie Robinson wore number 42. So every year on Jackie Robinson Day, Every player in the major leagues wears number 42. Now, why do they do this? Yes, they do this to honor him. It is much deserved. He should be honored. But he's not alive to see that. So it's not honoring him per se. He died in 1972. They do it in hopes that you'll remember. Because hopefully, as Rylan raised his hand back there and said he was watching baseball this week, hopefully he noticed, hey, Dad, why are they wearing, they're all wearing the same number. This is weird. That doesn't normally happen. And Brian could go, well, they actually do it because the first black man, Jackie Robinson, played baseball. It's to remember, to remind every year on the same day, every baseball game that is played, this happens every year so that people will remember. So you see here now why Moses starts with, hey, remember this day. You're going to be prone to forget because we forget. People forget. We suffer from recency bias. We tend to forget and discount the past, which is sad, but we do it all the time. And this is why we see the idea of remembrance and reminding all over Scripture. In Isaiah 17.10, God is promising He's going to discipline and rebuke Israel for their disobedience. And He tells them why. Why is this discipline coming? For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. They forgot. They turned to these other gods. They turned to these other things. They, they were resting and finding their peace and their strength and all of these things in other things, in worldly things. They had forgotten the rock of their refuge. Later in Isaiah 46, when God is drawing them back, he is calling them to repentance and he is telling Isaiah, go tell the people this because they need to repent. What does he tell him to say? Remember this 
and stand firm. Recall it to your mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. God tells us over and over and over again in Scripture, remember, remember, remember who I am. Remember what I've done. Remember what I've told you I'm going to do. Remember, remember, remember. Now, if we had time today, we would read all of Psalm 105 because it's basically a song that they would have sang over and over just like the songs that we know by heart, word for word. And it's the story of the Exodus. It's the whole story. It's literally word for word just, and then God did this, and then God did this. And, th and it's all the things we've been going through the past few weeks or months. So Moses tells them, remember this day. But just to make sure you remember, so it's not just me telling you once, hey, remember this day, we're going to set up some things. We're going to do some rituals every year. And we are always going to do these even after we get to the promised land. Because remember, they're not there yet. After we get to this land that God has promised to our forefathers, we're still going to do these things to remind us to remember this day. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to eat unleavened bread for a week. Now, if you're asking yourself right now, what's unleavened bread? Here's a hint. If you've ever eaten bread and gone, hmm, that's some good bread, it wasn't unleavened. Okay? It was the opposite of that. It was very much leavened. Okay? Leaven is basically yeast. We don't know for sure it was exactly yeast back then, but for our intents and purposes here, it is basically yeast. It is a component of the bread that causes it to rise and look like bread. Yeast is a living organism. It's a fungus if you want to be very technical. And some of y'all are like, well, I've eaten my last piece of bread. Thank you for ruining that. It's a living thing. Not, bread is not. Yeast is. Yeast is a living thing. You put it into bread, and it expands and multiplies and grows and infiltrates all of the dough, causing it to rise. It doesn't do it immediately. It takes time. But you put it in bread. It spreads, even if you just put a little bit, because it multiplies. Because, it, again, bread, living. It's a living thing. I'm just trying to see how many people I can get to swear off bread just to see. It's living thing, it goes into the whole... This is why Paul reminds us twice in his writings. One in 1 Corinthians, one in Galatians. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Because it does. You put a little bit in, it expands. A tiny amount. There's no way to stop it once it's in there. It's not like you put the yeast in. Oh, I didn't mean to put it in there. Whoops, it's supposed to be unleavened bread. There's no getting it back out. Okay? It's not immediate. It takes time. If you've made bread, I have not, but I've seen it done. Make it, it takes a long time for it to actually rise. But why is this important? Why does it even matter? Why is, why is God saying this is how you're going to be reminded? This is the thing you're going to do to remind yourself, to remember this day. One commentator puts it this way. Unleavened bread was a symbol of discontinuity. Leaven works all the way through the dough and causes it to rise. The instruction to banish leaven from their houses and to take none of it with them from Egypt was a gesture that symbolized leaving behind all Egyptian influences that might work their way through, the lives and, through their lives and corrupt them. God wanted to do something more than get his people out of Egypt. He wanted to get Egypt out of his people. This was God making the Israelites look forward to their sanctification, 
something major is changing here, guys. It's going to be totally different, and you need to leave behind 400 years worth of learning and being immersed in a society and being immersed in a culture. You need to leave all of that behind, and I'm going to make you from slaves to free. I'm going to make you from engulfed by sin and, and surrounded by it to hating it, to hating sin, hating the things that go against my commands. 1 Corinthians 5 says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That passage only makes sense if you know the Exodus story. If you're reading the Bible for the first time and that's where you land, you're like, what is he talking about? If you were a Jewish person, which if you were a Jewish person that fits this description, you're a really bad Jewish person. But if you were a Jewish person who did not know the story of the Exodus, somehow you had just missed that part of history class for years, you'd be like, Paul, what are you talking about? What is this leaven and this Passover lamb stuff? Like, I have no clue what you want me to do here. Same goes for us. The whole Bible is telling one story. It is not a collection of story. I mean, yes, it is, blah, blah, but it's one story. So now that we know the story of Exodus, we can see exactly what God is saying here in 1 Corinthians. This is what Paul means when he says the old has passed away, the new has come. This is what he means by saying you are a new creation with new desires. Your desires have changed because the leaven has been removed. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. No provision for the flesh. None at all. No exceptions. No justifications. No, mm, it's really not that big of a deal. Listen to how this echoes what Moses says when he tells his people in verse 7 of our text today. Unleavened bread shall be eaten. So unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. No leaven shall be seen in all your territory. Don't have leaven near you. Don't go to your, if your neighbor's house has leaven, ask them. You got leaven in the house? I'm not coming, right? Don't go near leaven. Don't smell it. Don't, don't get close to it. Well, I know I got to eat this flat bread over here, but I at least want to sniff and, and get close to the bread that has don't let it be seen with you anywhere. Don't have it at all. God clearly, clearly took this very seriously. And this is how seriously He takes your sin, my sin, our sin. If we are His people, this is how seriously we should take it as well. We don't toe the line. We don't see how close we can get with that. Well, I'm not really technically sinning, but you're kind of just there. We don't make excuses because, well, God, God made me this way. I'm just a worrier. I just, I've just got anxiety. God made me this way. No, He didn't. Or He wouldn't have then later told you not to be anxious and not to worry. Don't, well, I, I've just, this is just how I am. God does not understand your sin. He, he's not tolerant of your sin. If you are, it doesn't mean that if you sin that God's not tolerant of you. It's not what I'm saying. But struggling against sin and pouring your life into it and saying this is just how I am is not unleavening your bread. 
It is not removing the leaven from your life. You ever been to a Bible study or a small group or some sort and there's confession time? It's always a dangerous time. Okay. But you've always got the one person in the room that's like, well, I just want to confess. I didn't read my Bible yesterday. And you're like, I just confessed to like basically being in the mafia over here and killing two people yesterday, I think. And you didn't read your Bible? I want you to think about that from a different angle, though. Because that's usually how I think about it. Like, really? You didn't read your Bible? <laughs> All right. Wouldn't it be cool to have that level of conviction? Wouldn't it be cool that you've unleavened your life so much that not reading your Bible actually makes you feel that bad? Now, sometimes people are putting on a show. I'm not here to judge that. But wouldn't that be, isn't that what we're shooting for? Isn't that what we, we want, that our lives have been so removed from sin that not reading our Bible truly does make us feel convicted by the Holy Spirit? Because that's what it's talking about here. It's talking about removing sin from your life. Now, does that person that confesses to that have other sins they should probably also be attained? Yes. Okay? Absolutely. But man, man, would I like to be there. Because I'm still in the mafia category over here. This reminds me of one of the most convicting quotes. I've used it plenty of times here. But A.W. Pink, he says this. It says, The nature of Christ's salvation has been woefully misrepresented by many present-day evangelists. They announce a Savior from hell rather than a Savior from sin, and so many are fatally deceived. For there are multitudes who want to escape the lake of fire, but have no desire to be delivered from their carnality and worldliness. We must be a people who want to be removed from our carnality and worldliness. We must want the leaven removed out of our lives because this is how God sees sin. He sees it as leaven. Leaven infects the whole lump, right? You put a little bit in, it spreads and goes. This is what sin does. Small sins. Because as soon as we go, I didn't read my Bible yesterday. Eh, who cares? Who, what's going to make you read it tomorrow? And then you haven't read it in a year. And then who knows what other kinds of things have, have happened in that year because you have removed yourself from God's Word. Sin infects the whole life just like leaven does. So make no provisions for it. None. God gives us this reminder. He gives Moses this reminder. He gives us this reminder here today. But there's also a different instance in which Jesus talks about this leaven, right? Matthew 16, Jesus tells his disciples, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. What is the leaven of the Pharisees? Now, it is sinful also, okay? So it's still talking about this removal of sin, but it's a sneaky sin. This, this Pharisaical sin, because some of y'all are like, yeah, I read my Bible every day, and I'm not in the mafia, so take that, Pastor Justin. I'm both, right? It's... But it was simply putting, the Pharisees were putting an extra burden on people that they could not bear up under the weight. They could not withhold that. That's what the law tells you. You're not going to be able to do this, but there's one coming. But the Pharisees were like, no, 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 we can do it. We can, we can pull that off. We, we got this. We, we can do it. We can carry it out. Moses tells the people that the reason they would continue this tradition was as a reminder to remember what? The power of the Lord in rescuing them not to remember, you rescued yourselves, good job, pat yourself on the back. Not to remember, well done, you exited out of Egypt. 
None of that. God is reminding us even here today that we need to remember the power of the Lord in saving us from our sin. And I don't care if it's the mafia or the Bible. Not saving you from the Bible. You know what I mean. God is reminding us it's, it's only by His power. It is only by His saving grace. Not your own, not your own strength, not your own wherewithal, none of that. And there are too many Gospels here to even name that distort the real Gospel. They, they got some truth in there. Okay, It's a little bit, but then they've also got a lot of leaven in there. And it's infecting the whole Gospel. And we don't have time to go into all of those. But just know that any Gospel that makes exception, ah, your sin's okay. Don't. God, God's not going to get mad at that one. That's little. Or any gospel that tells you you've got to upkeep your own righteousness. You've got to upkeep your own holiness. If you're not good enough, God's going to get you. Either of those are not the biblical gospel. They are leavened. Run from them. What we need to remember is Jesus. This is why we gather. This is why we take communion. This is why we give our tithes and offerings. This is why Caleb didn't get baptized in front of no one. He got baptized in front of us to remind us, oh, Jesus still saves people. Even with good parents, Jesus had to save him. It didn't rely on the parents. We remember that Jesus saves. Jesus is who gives us the strength. We remember that we need Jesus and His power to rescue us from the bondage of sin. And we also remember that we need Jesus and His power to sanctify us as we continue in our lives. To remove the sin, remove the leaven. Because only He can do that. We see this directly pointed to in the second reminder that God tells Moses to institute. Starting in verse 11, Moses gives the instructions that the firstborn of literally everything, anything that gives birth that you own, Israelites, you consecrate that to the Lord because it is mine. Except for that one thing. The donkey. Don't do that one. I don't want that one. God has just chosen in His sovereignty. I don't want the donkey. It's, it's not clean. I don't like it. Okay. But what's to happen? If you had, I mean, because donkeys are, donkeys are not like, well, God doesn't want us. I guess we won't procreate. No, they are. So they're still, you're still having firstborn donkeys. What do you do with them? You either redeem them by killing a lamb in their place, or you snap its neck, which sounds awful. I, whatever, but I don't know who was choosing that one. Bad, nah, whatever. I don't know who's doing that one, but you redeem it with a lamb, or you break its neck. This call, process was called redeeming. You redeem the donkey by paying a price for it. Something else died in its place. I hope this is sounding familiar to some of you. That something else dying in someone's place is what saved them. But there was one other creature. One other creature that you would do this for. Anybody read the text? Your sons, your children, your kids are grouped together with donkeys. Look at this. It says, you may every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Oh, and by the way, every firstborn child, like it does not, there's no break there. There's not even a verse number there. We didn't even decide to put one there. Like we're grouping them together. Donkeys were ceremonially unclean and unworthy to be used in the service of the Lord. That's why they have to be redeemed. That's why 
but they also serve as an example that someone has to cleanse them for your children. Consecrate your children to me, but do so by redemption. Do so by paying a price for it. Now, firstborn, you didn't have the option to break your kid's neck. That's not at all. I want to make sure that's on camera, okay? That I'm not saying that. That's not one of the options. You only can redeem this by killing a lamb in its place. But we need to know something. An unredeemed child dies and perishes just like an unredeemed donkey. That's what it's saying here. That doesn't mean you can kill a lamb nowadays. We, we'll get to that. But to redeem something is to gain or regain it by way of payment. So to redeem these firstborn children, a lamb was offered to die in their place. This served as a reminder of two things. One, to cause the Israelites to remember God's power in saving them just right before this. Last two weeks we've talked about the Passover. In the tenth plague, the children of Israel were spared based on the covering of the blood of the Lamb. Now, forevermore, the firstborn of Israel was spared based on the pay payment price in redemption. And what was that price? A lamb. Once again, saved by the blood of the Lamb. The second thing it reminded them of was that everything, up to and including their own children, belonged to the Lord. And any parent in here needs to remember this, whether your kids are my kids' age, which are very little, or adults, however old they are. They belong to the Lord. We consecrate them to the Lord. The opening verse says, Consecrate me to me all the firstborn. Dedicate them to me in the service of the Lord. We do that here at mission. Now some denominations baptize them. We won't get into all of that. Okay? But we do baby dedications. Both of my kids have done this here at mission. Because we are saying, as their parents, we're going to raise, I can't make them do anything, well, I can't make them do anything in belief. But I'm going to raise them to know the truth. I'm going to raise them to know the gospel. See, this practice was to be carried out forever as well, even after they entered the promised land, so that when the kids said, Dad, why, are you, why do you do that? Or they see someone else doing it. Why, why are they killing that lamb over there? You can tell them, because God saved His firstborn son this way. Exodus 4.22, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. It is a mirror image. But it's also a mirror image of what's coming. So God tells them to remember. He says, to help you, I'm going to give you these reminders that without me, you have no hope. Without me, you have no way of saving yourself. Without me, the bondage of sin or the bondage of slavery, in their case, will follow you for the rest of your life. But I, the Lord, redeemed you from slavery, from the blood of the Lamb. And then he sent us the ultimate reminder, the ultimate Passover lamb, to tell us the same thing. Remember, you, Christian, you, non-Christian, you, person, anyone listening, you need Jesus to pay your purchase price out of slavery. You can't buy yourself out. You can't purchase your way out of this. It is a self-inflicted selling yourself to slavery of sin. Every one of you. Everyone listening has sold themselves into the slavery of sin. And Jesus is saying, I'll pay your price out. 
If you'll follow me, I will pay your price out. You have no hope without me. You have no power to save yourself, but I will pay your price. You see, the story of Exodus, it ultimately is the story of salvation from start to finish. You see election, which is the start of our salvation, God choosing us to be saved. How did Israel become God's people? God said, they're my people. He just sovereignly chose, they're mine, and we're going to do this thing. Sin, which is the cause, the need of our salvation. We see him deal with sin pretty radically with these ten plagues. His wrath and his justice is on display over and over again. We see substitutionary atonement, the very means of accomplishing the promise. So he promises to save. Substitutionary atonement is a substitute atones for you. The very way in which he does that. We see this in the Passover. We see this in the cross. Sanctification, our growth in once we say, I do believe that, I believe in Jesus for my Savior, I want to be more like him. We see this in the unleavened bread. We see this now in our own sanctification as we grow in our faith and grow to look more like him. We see redemption. The purchase price was paid to get the Israelites out of Egypt. The purchase price for you has been paid by Jesus on the cross. And then we see glorification. The ending. It's where we all get to see God. We see this in the promised land. The Israelites finally arrive. Now lots of stuff happens after that. We'll get to that as we go through Exodus. It's not exact. Because once we get glorified in heaven, all that stuff won't happen. But glorification to the promised land, we get glorified in heaven. The entire biblical narrative is tied up in this one story. And I'm speaking for me, but a lot of people that have told me this thing, it has been beautiful to see this progression as we work our way through Exodus. And we see that Thousands of years ago, God was just as in control as He is today. So we are told here to remember. So I asked myself all week, this is, what, this is a little preacher fact for you. It's always rolling around up here if you know you're preaching on Sunday. Eric does it every week, guaranteed. Even though he's done it a thousand times in his life. It's just rolling around. Even You're having a conversation with somebody and you're still thinking about remember, 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 redemption, whatever you're preaching on that week. So all week I'm thinking, I know what the text says, but what, you know, what do I say? What, what does God want me to tell the people of mission to remember? And in all honesty, confessionally, I was just trying to be too clever. I wanted it to be something special, something new. And you, Oh, you've never heard it before. So as I was getting Judah ready for bed, which I do every night almost, off my own thoughts, I'm going through the motions, but it's all up here. I could vaguely hear Nora talking to my wife, my sweet little angelic baby girl back there, talking to Stephanie. And I hear her saying something like, hey, how do you spell something? I couldn't really make it out. But she's learning how to write. She's learning how to read. She's learning how to spell words. This is all very common. I hear, how do you spell a lot in my life? So I'll go to the bathroom to brush Judah's teeth. She comes in with an index card. And she sets it face down on the counter right next to me. She goes, Daddy, that's for you. Thank you, baby. What does it say? No, you just read it. Okay. I assume that it says, Daddy, you're the best. I love you. I love you. I love you. But instead, I flipped it over and this is what it said.
And that's when I knew what this sermon was going to be about. Because that's what every sermon should be about. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. That's it. That's what we are called to remember. But how easily do we forget this? I was forgetting it, preparing a sermon. Because I was like, well, what am I going to say to these people to remember? Just remember this. It's not even that hard. A six-year-old who doesn't know how to spell did it. Consecrate your kids. Because they'll end up returning the favor. Speak the gospel to them. Not when you think they're ready. Not when you think they understand the words. There's no way Nora understands the implications of what she wrote here. I don't even fully understand the implications of what Nora wrote here. But she wrote them on her own. This is what we need to remember, folks. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Personally, your sins sent Him there. We, we need to lay under the weight of that. We need to let that rest on us. My sin, Justin Crow's sin, 2,000 and some years later, sent Jesus to the cross. But He went to the cross. He went. He willingly went. This is what we need to be reminded of every single Sunday. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins to redeem us. He was delivered up for our trespasses. He was raised for our justification. He paid the due penalty for our transgressions to save His children from the wrath that we all deserve and to deliver us forever into the arms of the Heavenly Father. Don't wait to consecrate your kids when you think they understand it all. Just start now. Speak the Gospel to them. Make them repeat the words back to you because as you speak them and as you hear them, out of the mouth of babes, you will be reminded. You will be reminded. And in that, may the Spirit of God that is within us give us this childlike faith. Because again, Nora doesn't understand these words, but Daddy said them, so she believes them. We need that. The Bible says it. God says it. Jesus says it. I believe it. I don't really see how it's working right now. Believe it anyway. But what about this over here? Believe it anyway. Why? Because this is true. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. So as we repeat these words over and over in our lives, as we remind ourselves, may we always remember this. Let's pray.